The words that I would like to draw your attention to this morning are found in the 36th Psalm. Psalm 36, if you have a black Bible from one of the chairs, would you take, and you could find them on either page 435 or, or 435 or 465, there's two different sizes of those pew Bibles. The main text will come up on the screen, but I think it will be helpful for you to follow along as we look at this text of Scripture. God, would you please... Thank you for the prayers of Larry, and I pray that you'd hear them. Pour out your love upon us in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that you promised us. Amen. Who in your life is so difficult? There are people that are really hard. And that's saying it really lightly. You you can't escape the voice of her nagging, his criticism, your parents complaining, your children complaining. He hurt you in ways you could never imagine, and it's even... It's too painful to even talk about. And your heart still races whenever you think about this person, much less see them. Pain from painful people. Pain from sinners. The husband's adultery or the wife's adultery. The wife's constant criticism. Your parents' continual displeasure Lying or backstabbing or toxic culture at your job or in, at work. Sin is so ugly. It makes us all ugly in our attitudes and our actions. And it leads us to treat people in the most horrible ways. What do you do in being surrounded by a world with so many difficult people who will hurt you? David, who wrote the psalm that we're about to look at, was no stranger to the pains of painful people. His father-in-law, Saul, the king of Israel, so jealous of David, repeatedly tries to kill him, using lies and deception, a wife who despises him. While he worships the Lord. A son who betrays him, Absalom, and sends him on the run for his life. Family and friends of Saul who unfairly take an offense of David and they curse him when he's at his lowest moment. This psalm that we're going to look at this morning. And next week, Psalm 37. I love Psalm 37. I, I hope this week you will just... you will. Swim and bathe and drink from and feast from Psalm 37. That's next week's psalm. I encourage you towards that. These psalms, both of them, press us towards the, the reality of the wicked that surround us. What do we do? The wicked who arrogantly would push their foot upon our necks 
and seek to hurt us. Well, let's look at this psalm. There's just 12 verses. This is a shorter psalm. You could divide this psalm into three sections, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 5 through 9, and then 10 through 12. That's the outline or structure that we're going to look at it. But let's, would you follow along as I read it? It starts out, well, to the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Transgression or sin, rebellion, disobedience to God's law. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Shift. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the deep, great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of man take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evil lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Faith Church, this morning in this song of David, we see the psalmist declaring an unescapable reality, human wickedness, immeasurable riches, divine grace, and an appropriate response, believing prayer. May God equip us with this psalm to learn to pray, to think, to repent, to run to God, and to just drink of His grace in the midst of a surrounding culture and family and world with people will hurt us. Number one, human wickedness, an inescapable reality. Verses one through four, he says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in the heart. He's saying rebellion is like a voice in people crying out to them to the very core rebellion. Turn away from God. Be your own God. Follow your own way and your own plan. You see, sin, I, I learned this a long time ago. It's a helpful reminder. Sin 
is its middle letter, I. I want to be in charge. I want to be first. I want my way. Look at me. I deserve. I ought to have. I should have comfort. Put me first. And here he describes in these first four, verse, first four, four verses, human wickedness. It, it, there's a heart to the core, the very center of this person. Its wickedness is deep in the heart saying, I do not want God to be sovereign over my life and for me to submit to Him and His authority. I am going to be the authority and I'm going to choose my own way and we do it to the depth of our hearts. And he ignores God and His accountability. It says here, there is no fear of God before His eyes. So His heart is bad. His eyes are bad. These are all metaphorical. His eyes are of the eyes of his heart that are to say, there is a God who made me, and I am to submit to this God and obey his word. It's not what I think or what I desire. It's what he thinks and what he says and what he desires. And instead, I have no fear of him. This word fear actually has to do with, there's no dread of God. There's no fear of a punishment. Oh, that God would help us to have a type of holy fear to God, a reverent fear to God. And if not a reverent fear to God, oh, I pray that you would have a dread of God's judgment someday so that you would seek the true God and find the only solution to that wrath of God because it is coming and it will come to you. And you must be ready to face it. And there's only one way to face it. We even see it in this text. His eyes have no fear of God. There's no, no, no accountability. God will not judge me. Do you, don't you see that in our culture? Don't you see that even naturally sometimes welling up in our heart when you and I sin? At that moment we go, well, it, God, God doesn't care. Well, I can't say that. God isn't watching. Well, I can't say that. Well, I'm going to do it anyways. No fear There's an inflated view of self that the wicked have. See verse 2? He flatters himself with his own eyes. I'm really not as bad as the person down the road. I know what that person at work is like. She's evil. That's not me. I'm, I'm at least four levels less evil than her. He flatters himself in his own eyes so that iniquity, that's That's the sin in our hearts, the sin in our lives that make us do the things that we do that are wrong. They can't be found out or repented of or hated. Why? Because I'm really not so bad and I really deserve and I'm really okay. Our world, our culture, the message that just is pounded into our children and pounded into our commercials and pounded into our movies and pounded into the media, pounded into our lives is what you desire is okay and you should let everybody celebrate you in that no matter what God says. The words of his mouth, verse 3, are trouble and deceit. How many of you have experienced the hurt of other people's words? (laughs) 
if, if, you're, if you didn't raise your hand, you either weren't listening <laughs> or, or not thinking enough because we've all been hurt by people's words. Their, their words are trouble, deceit. They are lying and gossiping and slandering, accusing. And he has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble on his bed. You, you see, it's just full out. This is human wickedness. They don't just like fall into sin. They were laying around at night thinking about how they're going to do their own way in their own timing with no respect to God and they're okay and they can do it. They premeditate to do sin. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. The end of this psalm says they will be thrust down. A nice way of saying they will be destroyed. They will perish. They will be defeated by the wrath of God. This is the condition, the inescapable reality that we live in. A pain that you and I experience from the outside. You will this week, most likely, or this month, if you are looking around and interacting with people, face the pain of sinful people that are described in these verses. If you're very long in this world, you'll see that. You may have been reared by it, by parents that, ex- that lived this way. Sin speaks to the wicked deep to our core, and it fuels abuse and divisions and quarrels. The wicked, is, the wicked in these four verses is not a true Christian. That isn't to say that all of us aren't wicked. We all are. Oh, we have in our hearts what is here in the core, but by God's grace, He comes and does it work. The four, these four verses describe an unsaved, unregenerate person. This isn't something that we will ever hide from or run away from. You, you'll face these realities in our politics, and we see it all the time. You watch the news, you see it. You see it in the gender craziness that's out there, sexual craziness out there, the God rebellion that's out there. You see it in Christian hypocrisy, people that say they're Christians and they live the absolute opposite. They say they trust God, but they, they really do not. You'll see it in work and school and family. You'll see it in your family. you see it online. Sin makes people who are made, were born in the image of God, made to know God and to love God, made to trust in Him and to show him off and to enjoy him, it makes people to ignore God, suppress the truth, give in to their own selfish pleasures and ways, thinking that's actually a good thing, but instead it's suicidal. Self-esteem, a message that says, I just need to think better about myself, is not the problem in our culture. We don't need more of that. You and I are not intrinsically good. We are bad to the bone. The Bible says that humankind, apart from Christ, are described in Romans 1, 28, that they did not acknowledge God, but they gave them, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and envy and malice. 
intent to do hurt. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. Here they are. Here's some respectable sins. They're gossipers and slanderers and haters of God and insolent and proud and boastful and inventors of evil and they're disobedient to parents and foolish and faithless and heartless and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Look around and see at least mentally in your mind. May God help us. There could be some of you in this this room today that I pray that though your marriages are right now impacted by the pain of verses one through four realities from one of the spouses, that God would give you grace. If these verses describe you, no fear of God, you think you're okay, your words regularly do not honor God, and you do not think to please Him through the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. Even if you think you are, even if you pray to prayer, even if you believe certain things in your head about Jesus and Christ and the truth of the songs we sang, or have been baptized... This is the description of someone, all of us naturally, all people, until God gets a hold of their lives and saves them, gives them the new birth, the regeneration through the power of the Holy Spirit. And David begins with a declaration and a reminder of this human wickedness, probably because he's feeling and experiencing the pain of this reality. Transgression is speaking to the core of the wicked and it's attacking me. So what do you do, Faith Church? So if you're here this morning, one of the things you do is if, you, if this describes you, I welcome you to the next section to call upon the Lord and He will rescue you and forgive you and save you. But what if you're here and you say, I'm feeling the effect of it, my family, my church, I'm feeling it in my work and people around me, my extended family, and it is so painful. Well, verses 2 brings us to immeasurable riches, divine grace. Look at with me at verses 5 through 9. He says, notice the move in a description in verses 1 through 4 of wickedness to a prayer to God. Your love, O Lord. Grace from God that is described with the word. It says, the stead, your steadfast love, O Lord. This is the word, the Hebrew word for hesed, which means a covenant love. If you go to Bible translations, you'll find it translated as just love or steadfast love or unfailing love or loving devotion or mercy or loving kindness or constant love or faithful love. This is covenant love of God towards his people that's undeserving, unmerited as we just sang, who find, people who find forgiveness... And grace, and it will never go away. And this grace he describes in verses 5 through 9 is so vast, and it's so vital, and it's so valuable, and it's so victorious. It, I, I want to say it two ways. 
in verses 5 through 9, he says, first of all, 5 and 6, he says, this grace, this divine grace is too great to grasp. It's, it's just immeasurable. It's too great to grasp. But then he shifts and he goes, but, but you got to grasp it. You get, you get it. You receive it. And you'll never want to let it go. It's too good to let go. Too great to grasp. Too good to let go. So look at verses 5 through 9. Your steadfast love, O Lord. It extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. What is he doing in verses 5 through 9? He's saying, He's saying, faithful, you who are surrounded by the wicked that are hurting you, oh, just cast your hearts to the great and glorious goodness and grace grace of God. His love towards you is so great, you cannot even fathom how great. It extends to the heavens, this idea of you can't imagine how great and how big and how glorious the heavens are. His love extends to to the depths of the heavens, his faithfulness, that he keeps his promise in this love to the clouds. This is just poetry to express the vastness and how we cannot even comprehend how glorious this is. His righteousness, his right acting. He always does what's good. He never makes a mistake. He, didn't, he's, he doesn't bat A high 900, he bats a thousand, completely perfect in all his ways. And his judgments or his decisions are like the great deep. Oh, they can be mysterious, we do not understand them, but they are glorious. And in all of that, he saves both man and beast. He is our Savior. I I spent some time this week with just my mind going towards his love, Towards Faith Church, towards Daniel Pats, to the Pats family, to your family, all in Christ Jesus. This steadfast covenant, never let go love is so great you could never imagine it. And he says, I want you to think about how it extends to the heavens. We know a lot more about the heavens than in ancient times they knew how big the heavens were. The, the, fact that we've had modern technology and telescopes have have helped us see the differences and the amazement of the space and the vastness of it. In fact, one person described to help us imagine, if the distance between the earth and the sun, our nearest star, was, imagine the thickness of a piece of paper. If that, just on on a scale... That's 93 or so million miles. That's a lot of miles. Do you realize that the distance from the earth to the nearest star beyond that would be a stack of papers 70 feet high? And just the diameter using that same scale of our little galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And our little galaxy is just a speck of the universe. His love extends to the heavens. His love comes from the one who upholds those heavens and earth, the entire universe, by the word of his power. 
And that love coming to us is something that is directed completely and personally to you because of God and His grace. And he's saying, it is so vast, vast. Oh, would you begin to start to comprehend? Would you start to ponder and with your mind grasp how great is His love, His faithfulness? He will always keep His promises. He will do it. And then in verses 7 through 9, he says, it is, it is too good to let go. Verses 7, you're, how precious He's talking to God here in a prayer, a song. Your precious, how precious is your steadfast love, your, this faithful covenant love, O oh God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. He said, here's a picture of he's saying, your love is so precious. It is so good. How could I ever let it go? Why would I ever want to do that? And, and what do you do for your people? You are like a mother hen coming and reaching out its wings and surrounding and sheltering all of your people with your love. And no enemy, no, no wicked thing can get us when you are sheltering us. This is a picture in the book of Ruth when Boaz is talking to Ruth and he says to her, you have come to the true God of Israel. And he says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done as you have sought to be faithful to your mother-in-law and you sought refuge under the wings of the God of Israel in whom you took refuge. You see, God's people, we, just, we come to God and we go, I have no defense against my own sin that's going to come upon me and destroy me. I have no defense against other people and wicked people that will come against me. But, I, I, but you are strong and you are a protector and you're the only protector. And I run under and you, I take refuge under you and I don't have to fear. You are my protection. And he's saying, oh, the steadfast love in the midst of wicked people who would plot on their beds their evil against me and speak lies against me and are selfish and proud and make my life miserable. Oh, but I keep my mind fixed upon his steadfast love. He is my refuge and under his wings I come. Psalm 91 says that he delivers us from the snare of the fowler and the deadly pestilence. He covers us as an eagle would with his pinions. Under the wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is like a shield and a buckler. Oh, faith church, in the midst of this world, in whatever you're facing, at home or at work or with your body or with your mind or with your own sin battles, God is a refuge and he is a shelter that you run unto. Run to him in his steadfast love. And then he says in this passage, oh, this love that is too good to let go, not only is it protecting, it's providing. And in verse 8, he says, they feast, God's people, they feast on the abundance of your house. This has to do with the idea of worshipers that would come for a peace offering and they would eat of the fat and the food that they would eat of there. He's saying, he, instead, we come and we have feast on the abundance of what God provides for us, and it is truly God and God alone. And you give them drink from the rivers of your delights. God is a God who comes to his people, 
and ravishes them with this love. And I pray that more and more that you and I would not be content with a Christianity that just goes about and it's good enough, we think, to save us and take our sins away and so we go to heaven and keep us on the straight and narrow, we might think, and not understand that this book describes a God who is so great and so glorious, made us to enjoy Him forever, that we wouldn't go run to Him knowing that He is the true source of happiness and of delight and of pleasures forevermore, and that we are called to know and delight and feast upon this God. Not just go to Him and get the worldly pleasures. Go to Him because He is the truest pleasure of our hearts. And in this psalm, He's saying, in the midst of all this wickedness, oh, I drink of His steadfast love. I feast upon it. He provides for me. He nourishes me. He takes care of me. Verse 9, for with you is a fountain of life, a source of life. There's so many ways and so many promises that we could just declare because all of these things are true to us as God's covenant people through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can consider that the sufferings of this present time, including those bad people in your life or painful circumstances in your life, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Why? Because we have a God who is this God whose steadfast love are so precious and priceless. And we know that God works all things All people in our lives would be some of the things that He works for good, your good. If you are God's child because you have turned away from yourself and you've received His free gift of eternal life, He is now your Father. He is covenantly bound to you and He will never let you go. And He is working all of the things that right now frustrate you, hurt you, scare you. He will work them for your eternal joy and good. And he calls you to surrender yourself and submit to him. The psalmist, or David says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who could really be against us? We could say with, I think David would like to say and help us to hear what was written thousands of years later. What is Because of this love, what is our only comfort? And it is a true comfort in life and in death. It is that I am not my own, but I belong both in body and in soul, both in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood. And He has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also, He preserves you and me in such a way that not a hair can fall from your head. And if you're bald, anything else can fall from you (laughs) apart from the will of your heavenly Father. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also will assure you of eternal life and He will make you, He works in you so that you will heartily follow Him and live for Him. Would you rejoice this morning in his precious love? As we were driving in this morning, 
I saw to the west dark, ominous clouds, maybe storm and darkness, and to the east, beautiful sun as it was coming up. <laughs> that we, we live in that kind of world where storm and sun, storm and sun, and storms come, but who is sovereignly over all of that? It is God. And in the storms, He's watering the earth, and He's doing things that we, can, we, do, we don't feel is great at the moment, but we know is good for us. And the sun comes and who, he is always, always faithful. And all of this is for our good and in love to us. Faith Church, rejoice in what David calls the precious steadfast love. You can't grasp it. You can't fully comprehend it. It will take all of eternity to do so. But you have received it if you're a Christian. And you would never think of letting it go. It's such a treasure. And non-Christian, if you're here, I hold the steadfast love to you in the name of Jesus Christ. You have not yet experienced it, but you may experience it. I welcome you to it. God welcomes you to it. He invites you to... To bow the knee and surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross, rose from the dead. He offers you forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe in Him. The truth, friends, is that this psalmist reminds us that in ourselves we are much worse than we could ever imagine. And His grace is so much better than we could ever imagine. Jesus came into the world to save sinners who turn away from their sins and look to Him and His free gift of grace. So getting back to the psalm, David laments at the beginning, verses 1 through 4, wickedness of man is so bad and we feel the effects of it. And verses 5 through 9, he rejoices in the unspeakable and immeasurable divine grace that comes His love to us. And then he ends with a appropriate response. And I think, He calls us to an appropriate response by example. And that's calling on the name of the Lord. Look at verses 10 through 12. A believing prayer, an appropriate response. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you. And your righteousness to the upright of heart. Hear this. He's saying, oh, would you just pour out your steadfast love, this love that you've promised that I believe in, it's greater, it extends to the heavens, it's deeper than I can imagine. Would you please protect and provide and do this in the midst of all my enemies? Will you extend it? Would you make it happen? God wants us to pray this way. Even though he promises us, he wants us to pray his promises. And he says, he prays for defense. Let not the foot of the arrogant come upon me nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. And then he is confident that God's going to do it. Verse 12, it's there where the evildoers lie fallen. They thrust down. It's as though it's going to happen already. The evil in your life, the evil people in your life, they will be destroyed in one of two ways. They will either be destroyed by God's merciful divine grace coming and overpowering them and bringing them forgiveness, grace, and changing them of which you will rejoice by God's grace. Or they will face the wrath of God eternally in hell. May God help us to learn from the psalmist. We're going to see from the psalmist next, next Sunday 
another song of what do you do? Do not fret when the wicked seem to be around us and they seem to prevail. What in your life is drawing you to an appropriate response believing prayer this morning? Is it the painful relationship in marriage, an unbelieving or a disobedient spouse, the pain of your children or parents? Perhaps you feel so beat up at work, surrounded by the pains and the evil that surrounds you. Oh, you need to drink of his mercy, his love, his care. His light. Maybe this morning you feel the pain of doing right. And others around you seem to be succeeding and it just doesn't seem like it's working out. Would you cast your eyes in believing prayer up to the Lord? Call on him and believe that he will answer you in his good timing. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I'm going to, I'm going to conclude by reading the opening verses of next week's psalm that I point you to as we end this and go into this next week. And we're going to sing a response of a song. I, just, I love when we get to the end of this song that we're going to sing, where it calls us to rejoice, O oh my soul, for his love is my... How's it go? My... My reward. I just, I love the reality of his love is my reward. Oh, rejoice, oh, my soul. We got to remind ourselves of this truth. So, would you hear these words from Psalm 37? And then we're going to go into, into believing prayer in, a verse, in, in the form of a song. Psalmist says, Fret not. Fret not, faith church. Yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like a grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as a noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in the way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, and I'm going to add his steadfast love, shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight himself in abundant peace. Oh God, would you please make this final song a song of believing prayer to you calling out to our hearts to do that, to believe this, that you are ours forevermore. Oh God, if there are some, and I believe there are, that have not yet received you, have not bowed the knee to you, I pray that today they would. Oh God, speak your love to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.